You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Watch the left field deep. Bam going back, looking up. He will watch it fly. And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back. Gone for Yelich. Cody Bellinger hits one out. Pete Alonso. He's your home run derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. I have a theme for this week, and the theme is revenge. It's revenge week here on A's Cast Live. And you want to know why it's called Revenge Week? Do you have any idea, Cody, why this week is called Revenge Week? I think I have an idea, but I, I don't think it has anything to do with uh, Gleyber Torres v- versus the Yankee, uh, the Orioles this weekend. It has to do with the A's getting revenge from the 2019 wildcard game, the last baseball game we attended as, I guess, fans as well. Before, you know, obviously this year, but. You're, 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 you're dead on. It's time to get back at the Rays for what happened in 2019. There's bad blood between these two franchises. I'm just joking. But, no, it's going to be uh, – it's, it's, it's a good test. I know they just lost two out of three to the Toronto Blue Jays, and they got shut out yesterday. They didn't even have a guy get to third base yesterday, and they were shut out one zip. But whenever the Rays see the A's, it's, it's, it's a great test. It's game on. I mean, they are they they are a tough bunch to beat, especially in that dome, because that dome is not a fun place to go play for four days. I mean, I remember I remember when I was with the team. What was that? Two thousand nineteen. Yeah, I was just looking at the stat. It was June of twenty nineteen. And you walk in there, and it's just ugly, and it's dreary, and it's a dome. Half the time it's raining outside. You're in Florida, and it's and, and you know, you you're hearing lightning, and it was just the place sucks. And they, you know, they they do well at home. And traditionally, they're they're a tough group to beat. And I know they're just 500, but I'm gonna tell you, uh, strap it on for the next four days because it's no joke when you take on the Tampa Rays. And Mike Fires is back. Adam Kalerik was sent to the alternate side. He's actually still with the team. He'll be a part of the taxi squad. But Mike Fire and, and Cody, I love when you put the numbers up there for me. Mike Fires is 26 and 9 in 54 games for the Athletics. I think I think about that. 26 and 9. All this guy has done since he's put on the green and gold, his one games. Think about that. You just went through a stretch where you won 13 games, the longest winning streak of any team since 2017, where the Indians won 22 in a row to break the record of the 2002 A's, and the Diamondbacks won 13 in a row in 2017. 
How about that? You win 13 in a row. No one remembers because there's a team that won 22 in a row. But the A's right now in first place, they've been fabulous on the road. And they're looking to continue their dominance right now. Start another streak and really start to separate yourself from the pack. I mean, it wasn't that long ago when I went onto the standings, MLB.com, the A's were in last place, looking up at everybody. Now I go to the standings on MLB.com, and they're in first place. Seattle, surprisingly, is still playing well. They're 13-9, and a game back of the Athletics. The Angels, everybody's chic pick this year. They're just 10-10. and They're three back. Houston has regressed. I think there's no question about it. You know, when they were when they were when their chains were flying, jerseys were open, and they're hitting home runs, and they're like, you know, talking about their swagger is back. Uh, not so fast, my friend. The Astros are just 10 and 11, three and a half games back. And the Rangers, they are who we thought they were going to be. They're bad. They're nine and 13, and they're five games back. But it's about winning series. And if you're the A's and you can go down, take three or four from Tampa and have just that great confidence coming back home. I mean, I think that, that I, I, I think it will be huge for this team to win this series because they know how good Tampa is. And then you got Baltimore and Toronto on the back end uh, com- coming home. And you already know you should beat Baltimore every game. You know, that was, that was. The A's didn't the 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 A's just didn't hit yesterday, Cody. I don't know if you're able to watch the game, but they they just didn't hit and 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 Jesus Lazardo still has a problem with keeping the ball in the yard. Now we thought maybe Lazardo might be the guy that might be on the way out, or at least put into the bullpen, Oak or Cole Irvin, but no, not the case. It's uh, Adam Kalerik, and but someone still has to go to the bullpen. Who's it going to be? And Bob Melvin's talking like right now, right? He was supposed to talk at 157, and I'm still waiting for any updates uh, on anything on Twitter. I've been scouring uh, TweetDeck to see when something happens. But I did watch the game, and I saw Loriano's home run. And John Means, uh, let's not take anything away from him. He's a re- I mean, well, he's an ace for the Orioles, but he's a pretty underrated pitcher, and he pitched really well. His changeup is, is pretty lethal, and we saw it yesterday with all the strikeouts he had with it, but – they uh the eight you're right the A's couldn't get the bats going and uh, Jesus couldn't keep uh Austin Hayes' balls in the yard. Uh, Austin Hayes had like I think it was a second career multi home run game and of course it came yesterday. And then you know the the eighth inning was just a bit of a that it felt like that inning just went on forever uh, yesterday. So you know the, the winning streak ends but it was an incredible run. It vaults them into you know first place in the in the AL West. Uh, they're number two in MLB.com's power rankings. It's about time they get some love because everyone else is like, well, no, it's Dodgers, Padres, A's. The Padres are better. Hey, that Padre, that Padre Dodgers series was pretty darn exciting. It was good. It was really good. I mean, that was that was and bravo, Trevor Bauer. I mean, how many people does a guy hit a home run off and he mocks you rounding the bases and Trevor Bauer is not like, okay, I'm gonna throw at this kid. He just goes, that's baseball, it's entertaining. It was refreshing to see that because, obviously, these hitters didn't dig. And I don't know if he did that to the Padres in spring training. Were they the team he did that to? 
Um, it might have been, yeah, because I know the I know Scott Service, the Mariners manager, made a joke about it, saying how the team wasn't hitting. They were hitting with their the, with one eye closed when they played the the Dodgers in spring training. But I think it was the Padres. He did that too because he said was, he well, he did he must have done it multiple times. That's why Seattle's comment on it. And hey, the Padres. If if, if a pitcher's going to go out there in spring training and claim that he's going to pitch with one eye open or he's going to tell you what he's throwing, or he's going to do that, and then you get in the regular season, and you hit a home run off of him, and you mock him, if you don't like it, then you shouldn't do it in spring training. But Trevor Bauer wore it, and I thought that was uh, I thought that was cool. And by the way, your, your take on Fernando Tatis Jr. is a bust and will never live up to that contract. Um, you need to apologize for that horrible take. I, I was texting Sarah all weekend. I said, you're welcome. She goes, for what I said, because I told you that he was a bust, and ever since then, uh, he's hit five home runs since I, I made that comment about how I was, I was nervous about the contract. Hey, he does have seven home runs. He was his name co-NL Player of the Week with Madison Bumgarner, but he does have nine errors still on the season. Nine. And how many games have we played? 25. So I'm still a little worried, but he, he is hitting home runs. So his shoulder apparently is, is fine. So... I mean, you don't have to worry too much about that, but I I agree with what Trevor Bauer had to say. Um, I have the audio of that. We can play it later. Um, him saying, you know, it's great. It, he thinks it's kind of weak when pitchers will go out there and just throw at a guy for showing him up. He's like, I, I like it. And, you know, Eric Hosmer was doing the sword celebration that Bauer always does. And, you know, it's I, I'm glad to see the players are starting to embrace this kind of um, celebrations of baseball because it, it's definitely needed. And it's gonna that's how you draw in a, a newer audience. If you let no, these guys have emotion, yeah, and that and that that style of fun baseball is that's what you need to put on. That's what you need to show. That's what you need to showcase for your sport. Instead of just giving us Yankees, Red Sox, and watching their boring baseball in four and a half hours, and it's just boring and stoic. Look at these guys having fun. Yeah, you want to bring people into baseball? I'm telling you. There are a ton of kids who are playing baseball right now. I live across the street from, I don't even know what the Little League's called. It's probably River Glen Park. Little, the, the, it's River Glen Park. I don't know what the Little League's called. It's where Mark Canna played and all these guys. Um, there's, there's three fields that during the weekend, Saturday and Sundays, it's slammed. There's people everywhere. There's so many kids playing baseball right now. You got to get these kids fired up to watch it. You get like when I was a kid and I look forward to watching it. Well, if I was a little kid, uh, Trevor Bauer would be interesting to me. Fernando Tatis Jr. would be interesting to me. That, that, that Those games would be interesting. You know what also would interest me? Matt Olson. He's hitting 319. And he said this about Jed Lowry. I'm reading pitches well, and I'm able to see those outside pitches and not try to do too much with them. Part of that has been watching Jed throughout spring and during the year. He's an incredible ability to hit the ball where it's pitched. It just goes to show what a guy, and I know he's a professional hitter. Okay, they're all professional hitters. <laughs> but he's a guy that is so good around the strike zone that his own teammates realize, man, I need to be more like that. It's like what Tommy LaStella did to the lineup when he showed up from the Angels. 
Like, all of a sudden, things were different. And it's what Jed was in 18 and 19. You can learn from your own teammates. Watching a guy, his, his, his ability to prepare, his ability to hit at the plate, his professionalism, and Jed Lowry brings that. And bravo, Matt Olson, that you learned. Because last year you hit, what did he hit, 192 or whatever it was? Uh, That's embarrassing. Uh, let's not sell him short, 195. 195. Yeah. I mean, you're hitting 195? Uh, I mean, that you can hit 195 with that kind of ability. Yeah, he still hit some home runs. But, you know, just to watch him take the ball the other way, like hit the ball off the wall for that double in Baltimore. I mean, it makes you su- – being able to use more parts of the field make you more a dangerous hitter and will make them defend you differently. I, I just saw an update. Uh, I don't know how I missed this earlier, but there was an update from uh, Shane Rubin of the Mercury News that uh, looks like the plan for now is to have Mike Fires out of the bullpen, according to Emo. So it looks like Irvin and Jesus are going to stay in the rotation and they're not going to do a six-man rotation. So it looks like Fires could be the guy out of the bullpen, and he apparently is available to pitch tonight if, if, if needed. Huh. I don't know how I feel about that. It's interesting. I, I kind of thought that might be the, the role they go with him, coming back maybe to ease him into action because there's no – he can't make start, rehab starts in AAA because the season hasn't started yet. And yeah, he can make the alt-site starts against the Giants in Sacramento, but uh, I think having him pitch out of the bullpen might be – Smart to do. But well, he's again, only pitched out of the bullpen one time for the A's. Yeah. I, I, I'll, I gotta, I'm I actually going to look it up, how, what his career as a reliever um, is. How many times he's pitched out, out of the bullpen. Once again, I don't know how I feel. We'll ask Ken Korak in moments how he feels about that. I know they're bullish on Jesus Lazardo, and he does have this great talent, but until it until it transfers, I mean, he, he, the guy's got over five ERA. Brett Phillips, by the way, from the Rays, will join us at two thirty. We taped the er- interview earlier today. He's the uh, World Series hero from Game Six, so we'll talk to Brett Phillips coming up here at two thirty. Once was a ma- uh, a neighbor of Randy Macho Man Savage, so there will be some uh, impressions of the macho man coming up here at 2.30. But the voice of your Oakland Athletics, the voice of summer, Ken Korak is with us. Ken, are we at the stadium ready to go? It's an honor to be with you on your show today. I have to tell you that. Well, how are you? I'm well, and I'm looking out at the beautiful green grass at the Coliseum and watching a TV monitor while the A's are out there getting ready to play the Rays in St. Petersburg. So the decision has been made. Adam Kolarik go back, goes back to the alternate site. Actually, he's with the taxi squad there in Tampa. Mike Fires is back, but it looks like Mike Fires is going to be coming out of the bullpen. I just gave the stats on what he's done as a starter. I mean, all he does is win, especially at home. How do you feel about him going to the bullpen? Well, I think you look at what the A's have done so far, and it's, it's a matter of maybe not messing with a good thing and that Cole Urban has pitched really well. And, and I don't know that there was a great answer to the question, Chris, as to what to do here. Uh, maybe it's not ideal to have Mike in the pen and lose a lefty reliever, but I think on the other hand, Chris, it's a real endorsement of what Cole Urban has done. So 
after all, they've won 13 games in a row. They've been one of the best teams in baseball. So uh, I don't think you can blame them for uh, thinking, let's keep it the way things have been going so far. Yeah, and I think the one guy that we talked about yesterday in the postgame show that at some point we need to start seeing him keep the ball in the yard is is Jesus Lazardo. I know he's got a great talent, but when when your ERA is over five, that's not good. No, it's not. You look at his last two starts, though, Chris, and in the la- those two ball games against the Twins and the Orioles, he's gone twelve innings. He's allowed only three earned runs, so it's not like he's been, you know, really a liability at least here recently. So, but I think you're right, and and we talked about it on the post game show yesterday, and that is that for him to take his game. Uh, Chris, to the next level, he's got to do a better job of keeping the ball in the ballpark. So the A's, they've outscored teams 81 to 36 during that stretch. I mean, Ken, to go, to, to, you know, you looked at the standings, they look buried at the bottom. And to look at it today, uh, they're in first place. I mean, what an incredible run by these guys. They went from April 8th until April 25th without losing a game. That doesn't happen every day, right? Pal, you've been around. You've covered the game for a long time. Uh, One of the things that does concern me a little bit is that in every game in the Orioles series, they stopped hitting around the fifth inning. So they weren't able to add on in the first two games, which they won. Of course, they were were shut down by John Means, and their bullpen, Orioles bullpen, was really good. So I'd like to see uh, the offense maybe jump back and and see if they can um, kind of regain the form that we saw on the homestand, although I think this is going to be a tough series for them because the Rays have some pretty good pitching. Oh, yeah, there's no doubt. Rays are tough. I mean, they're not playing the best of baseball as they uh, Toronto took two or three for them and they were shut out. But I think when they see the A's, they understand they're playing one of the best teams in the American League. And, and I got a feeling we're going to we're going to see some really good competition, you know, because it's isn't it refreshing to see other teams? I mean, we haven't seen the Rays since the wild card game of 2019. And Yandy Diaz leading off against Sean Manaya. He's not leading off today. He's batting second. But, yeah, even though the A's lost that game, there are great memories from seeing the Coliseum with 53,000 fans there, Chris. But uh, you're right. It is different because we were in the West all of last year in the two Western divisions. So this is going to be a great series because I think it's a measuring stick for the A's, although it's early in the year because uh, the Rays, even though their numbers are kind of pedestrian, uh, 11 and 11, Uh, This is a very good team that uh, came within a couple of games of winning the World Series last year. And something, too, Chris, I wanted to mention, I think baseball has been great in April. I can't remember a better April, and my memory isn't great, but you think about all the amazing things that have happened on the field, like the AS-13 game winning streak, the two no-hitters, and three if you count Bumgarner. Yesterday, some of the incredible comeback stories we've seen around the game, Chris. Uh, the Padres and the Dodgers playing like every game is the seventh game of the World Series. So uh, we've really seen baseball get off um, on a really high note in this first month of the season this year. You know, speaking of Madison Bumgarner, I, I saw his very brief uh, uh, after the game interview with the with the broadcasters of the Arizona Diamondbacks. And he basically said, hey, listen, you know, there's been so many no hitters that have been broken up in the eighth or ninth inning. So you can't count this as a no hitter, but if you're going to tell me seven innings is an official game and I don't give up a hit, how are you telling me that's not a no hitter? Speaking like a former collegiate pitcher, 
Um, yeah, I kind of I've thought about that too. It, it wouldn't bother me if they counted it as a no hitter because I think you could still note that it was seven innings. But if the, if these are the rules, right? He did whatever yeah. he did what he was supposed to do uh, within the rules that we're playing with, uh, and he gets a complete game. He also gets a shutout, right? If you throw a one hitter, you get a one hitter. So uh, it wouldn't bother me, Chris. And and maybe baseball will make that change. And there's nothing wrong with saying he, he threw a no-hitter. And it's noted that it was a seven-inning game, but these were the rules that, that we had in the 20 and also this year in the 21 season. Yeah, we know when there's a no-hitter and it's done by multiple pitchers. Right, yeah, no. Uh, credit to him, too, because he he had not been pitching well at all. Right? Yeah. His ERA was like over seven before that game. So uh, it's a good bounce back for him. And yes, I do have a seven inning no hitter in an all star game when I was 15, Ken. <laughs> Good for you. See, <laughs> I figured there was a soft spot in your heart for the seven inning game, right? Well, we didn't play nine back then. It wasn't, you know, that wasn't until college. So, uh, seven innings. Yeah. But yeah, you're right on Bumgarner. I mean, it, it, really, there had to have been a lot of people looking around going, wait a minute, we signed this guy for 85 million and this is all we're getting. Yeah, his velocity was a little better. I I saw yesterday that he got up to around 92 on occasion. Uh, the A's really cuffed him around, as you'll recall, in the start that he you know he made against the A's in Phoenix. So I'm looking at Matt Chapman, and I'm just wondering when you know he's got one hit in his last 22 at bats. He's batting 158 for the year. It's I I know he's healthy, but he's just struggling to make contact. Ken, I just don't know how do you get him going. It's a great question, Chris. The only thing that, that we can point to is what he had talked about, and that is that he fell into some bad habits last year trying to compensate for the hip injury. Um, I like what he said, and I think it was Martin Gallegos who had a long quote from Matt that he posted, that if he can just kind of stay with the process and keep doing what he's doing, that eventually the hits will fall, and that's really the only way you can look at it. You can't panic if you're a guy like, like Chapman and try to stay with your routine and, and work on the fundamentals and, and assume that, uh, you know, you're a good player and it's going to kick in at some point. But he did talk about the fact that when you lose your legs as a hitter, and that's what happened last year and he tried to compensate for it and he struggled before eventually succumbing to the hip uh, surgery, Chris, you get into the habit of using your upper body and Good hitters, especially guys like Matt, who has great power to center. We've seen it right center, excellent power out there. You've got to use your lower body. So hopefully over time, Chris, um, he'll kind of rework things and get back to the kind of hitter that he was and the kind of fundamentals that he's used uh, to get to this point in his career. Well, the good thing is his teammates around him have been getting it done. And just the story of this lineup, Ken, there, there's so many great – Mark Can is a great story. Ramon Laureano, Matt Olson, my God, Jed Lowry. When you look up and down this lineup, just talk about with all these guys, everybody's got this tremendous story about how they got here and how they're performing for the A's. It gives us a lot to talk about too, right? I mean, Canada and leading off and, and doing a, the kind of job that I don't think a lot of people around the game expected. The A's, I think, are not surprised by what he's done, but I think I do think, though, Chris, they have some guys who have to step it up. I mean, they've got some averages that are under 200 in the lineup today, So, and I know they're not happy about that. And you miss Chad Pinder. 
I mean, especially when you're facing lefties and the A's are going to have a string where they're going to see some left-handed starters. Uh, they won last night in John Means and Rich Hill today. And these are the kind of games where Chad Pinder could have really impacted the game for the A's offensively. Yeah, who would have ever thought, like, when, when he got hurt, it looked like he banged his head against the wall. And then to find out it was his knee and, and, and no clue he would have been out this long. He had tweaked it during the spring, though, Chris, and he was trying to play through it a little bit, too. So it wasn't just that event going back to the wall against the Astros. The ball that Altuve hit to right field. So there was a little something going on before that, Chris. So it wasn't solely uh, what happened during that game, which is, as it eventually turned out to be the sprained knee. You know, I'm just looking at it now since you mentioned it. The A's have four players in their lineup today hitting under 200. And then they got two other players hitting under 250 with Piscotty. Piscotty's been hitting the ball a lot better, but he's still at 234. And uh, Ramon at 227. That's some really low batting averages in the lineup today. Yeah, no, they got to step it up. There's no question about it. And it's going to be a great matchup against this club. The other thing that really comes into focus when you play the Rays, and especially on the carpet, you have to do all the nuanced things, Chris, and all the fundamental things because you know the Rays are very adept at the roof there. So these are the kinds of games where you have to have like the supreme focus and concentration from start to finish in these ball games. The one thing I'll take away from the Rays, you know, being there in Tampa and seeing them in Oakland, I don't think there is a team that works more on fundamentals. They 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 as a unit take ground balls together. Every single day. Most guys just get their, their work in with a coach hitting fungos. They actually take infield together before every single game. That's why these guys are so tough to beat. They're so fundamentally sound. Do that, too. And we had asked Matt Olson about that on his Zoom call before the game yesterday. And the things that he does uh, with the rest of the infielders that people don't see because it's so early before the games. But, yeah, I mean, that's what I was talking about uh, mentioning. And. That goes back, I think, too, to Joe Madden and the kinds of things they were trying to instill in their ball club. And the other thing is we've never seen Randy or Rosarena play. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, I mean, what an incredible story he was in the postseason last year for these guys. No doubt about it. Have a great call, and we will uh, talk to you after the game. Thanks, buddy. Thanks for having me. The great Ken Korak, the voice of summer right here on A's Cast Live. Coming up next. We're going to have Brett Phillips from the, the uh, Tampa Bay Rays, the World Series hero from Game 6, next right here on A's Cast Live. Hi, this is Ramon Laureano. And the throw is going to be in time at the plate. Laureano firing a strike all the way on the line. And you're listening to A's Cast, your 24-7 destination for A's baseball. So I went and checked it. Brett Phillips is from Seminole, Florida, which is right next to Tampa. And I went on to Seminole, Florida's Wikipedia page. Notable people from Seminole, Florida. He's one. And another one is the great Randy Macho Man Savage, the late great WWF wrestler my favorite wrestler as a kid growing up. Well, Brett was neighbors and used to play hoops with Randy Macho Man Savage. 
How cool is that? And we got a chance to talk to him before they took BP. Here is the guy that had the game-winning hit, the first walk-off, I hate to say it, with two outs and the team behind since Kurt Gibson in 1988. Here's Brett Phillips. Hey, it's great to have you on the program again. How have you been doing in 2021? Hey, it's great to be on the program with you, and I uh, appreciate it always. I'm, I'm doing well over here in uh, Tampa Bay, my, my home city here in uh, St. Pete. And, uh, man, life couldn't be any better for me. And I got to tell you, it's been an interesting watching you guys from afar defend your championship. And, I mean, who would have thought the Boston Red Sox would have got out to such a hot start? What's it like been in the East? Yeah, you know, you see what Boston's doing. They're playing good baseball. Uh, over here on it, our end, we're, we've got some new faces. We've been battling some injuries um, all across the board. But, you know, we've got young guys coming up and stepping up and playing their part. And, you know, we're, we're, we're battling each and every night. You, you, like you said, you, you've looked uh, over here and how things have been going. Kind of uh, we're keeping an even keel right now, trying to catch somewhat of a hot streak. But, uh, like I said, just, just battling some injuries and, and grinding through right now early in the season. You know, obviously, we haven't been able to be around you guys. And one of the last managers we spoke with face-to-face was at the winter meetings in San Diego was Kevin Cash. And, you know, I, I, we talked to Kevin about how the A's and the Rays are just so similar, the way they're built, their issues that they deal with on the field, the issues of trying to get a new ballpark. So I, I've asked Kevin this, and I'll ask you, Do you, whenever you play the Rays, do you feel like it's a, a mirror image of, of you guys? Uh, you know what? I, I will say something about, uh, you know, the, the Rays fan base and, and being from here. You know, we were an expansion team in 98. And so we, we got a late start on our fan base. You know, I was four years old when the Rays became a team. So what I like to tell people is like, we're one generation away from having, you know, diehard fan base, like the rest of the league. Um, you know, when, when I, when people my age start having kids, you know, that, that is when, you know, that fan base starts to grow because all of our uh, parents were, were fans from, you know, whether like my family's from Illinois, so they were Chicago fans, but you know, Tampa Bay being an expansion team, my age group are the, is the group that, you know, we rooted for the Rays growing up. And when we start having kids, they'll be Rays fans as well. So, you know, we're, we're just a little behind being an expansion team. I like to tell people we're one generation away from having this place packed out, but when we're playing, uh, you know, a team like the A's very similar when it comes to payroll, you know, having young guys, guys from the minor leagues, you know, homegrown players having to step up and, and make a name for their, themselves at the big league level, you know, that's, that's just how we go about our business. And honestly, I, I, I like it. I, I love being a part of this organization. I think we're, they're doing a heck of a job from, from top to bottom. You know, you make a fascinating point, and I've never even thought about that. It's like, yeah, a, as an expansion team, I think you have to say, you know, kind of similar to – you know, like the Marlins or, or the Rockies or, you know, these teams that, you know, now you're going to have generations of kids who all they know are the Rays. They don't know, exactly. you know, they, they didn't grow up Yankee fans or they, that's fascinating. Yeah. You have to understand that all these other teams have been around for, you know, a hundred years. They have their generation of generation yeah. of fan base. I was four years old when the Rays became a team and I've been a fan of them since growing up. So now when the, my generation starts having kids, we can, 
you know, start to develop that generational fan base. But everyone wants to hate on the, on, on the Rays fan base. But it's like, hey, we were late to the game, guys. Like, you, this, this is a process. We're only 25 years old. You, you, you know, so it's, 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 it takes some patience. All these other teams, they've been around for hundreds of years. So, you know what I mean? Well, I got to tell you, we've been defending you guys here on A's Cast Live, uh, you know, because you, you get you get the national Northeast media who, you know, they're all in love with the Yankees and they say that the Rays are the little brother of the Yankees. It's like, no, they're not. They've been hammering you. You've won like seven <laughs> series against them, including postseason. So it's like they need to get off that narrative. You guys are too good. They need to start showing you a lot more respect because, I mean, if, if you want to call this a rivalry, it's been one-sided lately. <laughs> well, yeah, well, you know that the players over there, they, they respect us. They know that the Rays, when, when they play us, they got to bring their best baseball. And we know when we play the Yankees, we got to bring our best baseball. But we take a lot of pride when, the, when, when those guys come into town or we go into Yankee Stadium to, to play our hearts out, to, to play our best. And, you know, the, the, the comments from their fan base about us being little brothers or whatever they want to say about us, like you said, you know, we, 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 take, we take pride in that and, and we want to win each and every, every day. But – uh, that that expands through across the league, not just the Yankees. You know, I, I, I've wanted to ask you this about the World Series. So all of us in the playoffs are in a bubble, right, especially out here out west. And you guys are at Petco Park. You win the American League. And then you go to Texas. And for the first time all year, now you see fans the Dodgers have been there for now weeks in the same hotel, same clubhouse. They're used to playing with fans. What kind of advantage do you think that was for L.A. versus you guys just showing up and now all of a sudden there's fans for the first time all year? Yeah, you know, first off, you, you got to give credit where credit's due, Chris. And, you know, they played a better series than us. And and quite frankly, they were, they were the better team that series. And, and I, you know, hats off to them. They took advantage in, in situations with runners on base and, you know, they, they put things together. As for the advantage of the fans, you know, 98% of that stadium was Dodger fans every single game. But you got to take that out of it. When, it. when it comes to the World Series, the energy's there, regardless if you're getting booed or whatnot from the other team. You're, you're, you're at peak performance. You're at peak focus. It's the World Series. So, you know, you can't, you can't sit here and say, oh, they had, you know, an advantage or any excuses like that. They played better baseball, and that's what it came down to. And, you know, that, and, that, and that's, that's the end of it. You know, when you do really special things, especially for your hometown team, people never forget. You're the first guy since Kurt Gibson in 1988 to have that walk-off hit, two outs, team trailing, just take us through what that experience was as a professional. Oh man, it was uh, something special. Obviously, the the most uh, exciting to date in my career. Um, but you know, just the the circumstances leading up to to that at bat. You know, not being on the ALCS roster because of uh, you know having to play seven in a row that playoffs, and we needed extra pitching, rightfully so. But to having one at bat in the World Series and it, uh, being able to just make something happen for the team at that moment, uh, it, it's special. And I, I feel very blessed to have been put in that situation and had that opportunity and actually taking advantage of that opportunity. I know growing up, you know, being in the backyard with your friends, you always dream of that opportunity. Bases loaded, you know, obviously there's only Dion first and second, but 
when you're younger dreaming of bases loaded, bottom of the ninth, you know, two outs, you're down by one run. You, every kid in across the world who's played baseball has been in that situation before as a kid, you know, just from being in the backyard and to be able to have that opportunity as a big leaguer is, man, just a blessing in itself. And, uh, you know, like I said, I wish we would have won the World Series. It would have made it that much more memorable. But I'm, I'm glad that I have something like that uh, to, to be thankful for. And you got the airplane going, and you got your your, your teammates chasing you around the field. I mean, that was awesome. Yeah, it was like a kid in the candy store, Chris. Just pure emotion, pure joy, and and that's what came out. It's not like that was predecided that I was gonna airplane around the outfield after I walked it off. You know, that's just that was a, that was a kid coming out in me. All right, when I was growing up, now I'm older than you. I'm 49. And the WWF, my favorite wrestler was Randy Macho Man Savage. <laughs> I love the Macho Man. Yeah, I loved. And I, I actually went to wrestling events as a kid. You live next to the Macho Man? Oh, yeah. Snap into a Slim Jim. Oh, yeah. He was, uh, you know, I, Chris, I didn't get to really appreciate him uh, until he passed away in a meeting. Like, I didn't grow up knowing who Randy Macho Man Savage was. I didn't know how much of a an icon he was in the wrestling world until he had passed away. And I start telling people, oh, that was my neighbor. Like, we were friends. Like, we played basketball together. That we, You know, that, that, that was the, our, you know, our friendship. And then people are like, no way. Like, it got blown up. Everyone, like, you know, watched him and said that he was the man and all this. And I was like, holy cow. Like, I had no clue. But what a great guy. Rest in peace to my man, Randy. Uh, his his wife still lives next door to us, and just they were just a sweet family. Do you know he was? Did you ever talk baseball with him? He was a minor league baseball player. Yeah, I, I think he was in the minor league system with St. Louis. Uh, you know, we never really got into wrestling or things about his past. It was more just uh, you know how a school kid like let's play some basketball, let's play some horse, and uh, just you know conversation like that and I think he enjoyed that just because I wasn't a fan you know I wasn't over there bothering him but more so just just more of a friend no that's 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 a great story let's end on this what's it going to mean to you guys to to repeat and and win the AL East ah you know I think it would it, it it would mean you know the everything that's what we strive to to that's why we play baseball to win to win the world series but starting with winning the East and, you know, we're coming out here each and every day and working our butts off just like every other guy across the league and every team. And, you know, that's, that's our business and we're going to continue to do what we do. Hey, we always appreciate the time. Be safe and hopefully we'll see you soon and, and good luck to you guys the rest of the year. Hey, thank you for having me, Chris. Always a pleasure. Take care. Randy Savage was signed by the St. Louis Order, uh, St. Louis Cardinals as a catcher out of high school. He was placed in the minor leagues mostly as an outfielder in the Cardinals and Cincinnati Reds farm system. He was 18 when we began playing. I always thought he was a catcher. The great Randy Macho Man Savage is it, it did you get did are you too young to remember his bouts with Hogan back in the day? Hulk Hogan? 
Uh, I was too young, but I, I mean, I watched a lot of them because, I mean, obviously I'm a wrestling fan. <clears throat> more Nerd alert. Nerd alert. More, more, I don't watch wrestling as much as I used to. So, like, when, the peak for me was Stone Cold and The Rock and Triple H and all that. Now yeah, – I, I, was, I, was I was out by then. Yeah. You know, back then when, when you know, the music you heard was that, you know, this, this is one of the most iconic theme songs, and it's just the graduation theme. So, Macho Man's theme song, like, it's just so basic, so generic, but it fit him so well. And then you have the great songs from, like, Hogan, I'm a Real American, and and um, The Ultimate Warrior. Like, wrestling back then had some great battles, and the promotion was great, and the music was good. I mean, they were bringing in, you know, Mike Tyson, or not Mike Tyson, um, Mr. T, and you had all these Hollywood stars. Like, Vince McMahon tried to bring different people to host WrestleMania. Like Pamela Anderson did it one year. Like they, he did it so well. Wrestling's oh. not like that. It's it's not like that anymore. But Macho Man was a great character. So was uh, Hot Rod, Roddy Roddy Piper. You know, oh, they all were. Yeah, Hogan, the Iron Sheik. The Iron Sheik's still great to follow on Twitter, by the way. What's his name? <laughs> Who was the uh, governor of uh, Minnesota? Oh, Jesse the Body. Jesse the Body had his own he had his own talk show called the Body Shop. And don't 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 sell Randy Short. At one point, he beat King Haku, and he became the Macho King instead of the Macho Man. Uh, that was yes. And he had the crown and the scepter. And, oh, it was hilarious. It, it was, and, and you know, what was weird for me is just all of a sudden, I'm like, why is it WWE when it was WWF? But I guess there's somebody else out there that had WWF, right? Yeah, it's like I think it's some like wildlife. Um, organization or something, so they they changed it to it went from world world wrestling federation to world wrestling entertainment because they don't call it wrestling; they call it sports entertainment. Now they call it live entertainment. Uh, one of our good friend, one of our friends of the program, Adnan Verk, is the voice of Monday Night Raw now. Believe it. Or Are not. you serious? Yeah. So he does not only does he do MLB Network and the Zone, he also now does Monday Night Raw. So if you turn on Raw tonight on USA, you'll see Adnan Verk calling Raw as the main commentator. <laughs> that show is still on. It's been going for, let's see. They Ever. Did, they had the 25th anniversary uh, a long, oh, Jesus. It was at least 10 years. So we're looking at like 30 plus years for Raw. All right. Let me give me a quick, let me give you a quick story. So when I'm at San Jose State, at the San Jose State Event Center, WW, I think it would have been still WWF, came and taped for because back then, not only were they taping for Monday Night Raw, but they're taping for the Saturday morning show, whatever that was called. So we got so it was a packed house. I don't know, like six, seven thousand that can fit in there. And it was funny, like. So we were going to like we think we're going to a regular wrestling thing. And what we really were going to do was them taping a bunch of different matches. So some guys wrestled twice. Yeah, they don't do that anymore. Uh, they don't do that anymore. Uh, like one guy wrestled, then he'd be back like in an hour wrestling somebody else, and there was always the storylines and all that kind of stuff. And what was what was classic is that we went with like four football players who were offensive linemen. So I used to live around these guys, and they were monsters, right? They were like 6'4", 325". Two of my buddies were the offensive guards. So the guards are big dudes. And one guy was a tackle. 
I, I mean, they're all over three. And they were – we had front row seats at the San Jose Event Center, and, and, and the football players are taunting the wrestlers, and the wrestlers are yelling back at them. And then, and then that next week, there we are on television on USA Network. It was awesome. Yeah, uh, I mean, I've been to a, a couple events back in the day when I was younger that were taped too. And my friends like, you never went to Raw Live, you went to the taped events. And I'm like, are we, is this really what we're doing? I was in like third yeah. grade, <laughs> and they're and they're arguing about this. And it's funny you mentioned because actually one of the per, the performers now, Bailey from she, I think she's on SmackDown now. She went to Independence High School in San Jose, so she's a Bay Area girl, and she's from San Jose, right by us. So I mean, it, it's cool for the local ties like that. But yeah, wrestling. I haven't been to an event since probably WrestleMania when we went. When it was and here, you know, and and you know who who made his debut on, that night at the San Jose Event Center. He had been wrestling in other leagues. It was his first time to ever wrestle in the WWF. That would be the narcissist Lex Luger. Oh, nice! We got to see his day with Bobby the Brain Heenan <laughs> as his manager. We got to see the debut of the. They had this mirror, and he's always looking at himself. He was the narcissist. That's how he came into the WWF, the yeah. great Lex Luger. Yeah, I remember he showed up on WCW one night, and everyone's like, what's he doing here? It was a, it was actually – there's a whole story about that. But uh, He was so roided out, it was unbelievable. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, because he was the only guy, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, let's let's uh, let's do a little buying or selling. Okay. I have Mike Fires uh, up stats for you, too. It's time for buying or selling. Sell, sell. Right now with Chris Townsend on A's Cast Live. So we talked, we addressed this earlier. We talked about how Mike Fires is probably going to pitch out of the bullpen and he's available tonight. So I went and found his stats as a reliever. In his career, he's pitched in 19 games in relief. He's one in three with a 540 ERA and 35 innings. He has 27 strikeouts and 15 walks. He is a much better starting pitcher, obviously, um, clearly, especially with his time with the A's. So we'll see how that works out for Mike coming back from the injury. But I wanted to give you those numbers so you had him. And then former A, Rich Hill's on the mound tonight uh, for the Rays. So that's going to be interesting to see Rich Hill versus Sean Mania. But Ooh, by the way, Rich Hill has not been throwing the ball well. I mean, well, you're telling me you don't like his 880 ERA? That's Ooh. not selling you? Every, every start he's had this year, he's gone up at least four runs. And he's only gone past the six – or. He's gone six innings once, and he's not a guy that has a lot of – I mean, he's 41 years old. What do you expect from him? But, I mean, it's what the Rays are doing, and you, you'll probably see a piggyback guy maybe because it happened earlier this year with Chris Archer. But, all right, so buying or selling. Uh, you and I were talking about this on Friday, and I wanted to text thing, so I'm going to bring it up. Max Scherzer has pitched great for the Nationals, but they've struggled to start the year, and, well, they're still struggling. And MLB.com did an article on the future of Mad Max. Remember former Tigers teammate Justin Verlander in 2017? Well, what if the Nats wanted to trade Scherzer away this year? You can't ever count them out after they won the World Series after being 19-31 and 31 after 50 games in 2019, but Strasburg and Soto are now in the IL. Scherzer, who's slated to become a free agent at the end of the season, has full no-trade rights, and a 10, he's a 10-5 player, giving him the power to control his own destiny, essentially. He'll turn 37 in July, and if a team wants to sign him or trade for him, they have to pay him around $12 million of remaining of the $35 million this year on his contract. The team's All right, at- I'm buying, yes. Max Scherzer to the A's. I, oh, I don't even. Wow. I'm buying. Are I'm, you kidding me? The A's were on that list, too, but I was just going to say buying or selling the Nats will trade Max Scherzer. Oh, I mean, it was Justin Verlander. Have I ever, ever told you the Verlander Bowmel story? Uh, no, we got about three minutes. So you can tell it. So 
I believe this was in Houston. And Bob Melvin showers, does all the media, does his thing. And he's walking out of the stadium in Houston, and he runs in to Justin Verlander. They're, you know, normally these stadiums, everybody goes in and out at the same place. So he's walking with Verlander, and Verlander says to him, he goes, you know, the only thing you guys have missed and why you haven't won more is because you've never had the guy. Think about it. What would it be like to start – Justin Verlander in the wild card game versus Sean Manaya, who had only pitched what five games? Yeah, it was five games that year. Think, th- think if you would have had a Verlander to go up against a Verlander in 2012 and 2013. No one emerged to be that guy. We've we we have always lacked that great ace, true ace. You bring in Max Scherzer. Now we're talking about a completely different rotation heading into the postseason. You kidding me? That would be amazing. And that's the kind of thing. It's like, okay, you suck up the 12 mil, and then at the end of the year, he's going somewhere else. He's a rental player. He's 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 like David Cohn back in the day. You rented David Cohn to help you win and go to the World Series. He's a hired guy. He'd be basically a hired gun. I take him in a second. It's not my money. So I'd take him in a second. He he'd be like a CC Sabathia. When remember when the Brewers got him and he pitched literally, every, he pitched like every third day for them, essentially that year. And uh, I don't want to say he could be John Lester because I think he would probably be more successful than John Lester. But uh, that's when the A's won for it. What, the last time trying to get an ace, but I think getting Scherzer would be huge. And now Lester and him are teammates, which is kind of funny. But Johnny uh, Lester, Scherzer coming here would be awesome if that was a possibility because. They mentioned the Braves – or, sorry, not the Braves. They mentioned the Angels, who uh, – w- newsflash. Otani's pitching tonight. Great. Um, they have the worst team ERA in baseball. What do we say before coming this year? How are they going to get 27 outs? Well, they're not having a, they're not doing a very good job of doing it because they have the highest ERA in baseball. The Cardinals, Giants, Yankees, and then the A's, all as suitors for Scherzer. So. Hey, hey uh, over and under on uh, Otani tonight. Four innings? Uh, what did he do last time? He went four innings with eight strikeouts, but he had like six walks. Um, yeah, I'm gonna say he's gonna go four. I'll push. What 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 value is a guy that he's other than Trout? Rendon's really good, but as an offensive player, he's your second best player because you have the best player in the game. What value is he as a pitcher? When he goes four innings, four and dive, and he's not in the lineup. He's more valuable as an offensive player. They got it completely wrong. Yes, he's got great stuff. But they, they've gotten this thing wrong. Those scouts said, oh, his offensive game won't play in big league baseball. What? I think he's playing in big league baseball. And I think you, if, if I go up against the Angels and you don't put him in the lineup, you're doing me a favor. Yeah, I mean, he has seven home runs right now. Um, he crushed Seriously? one yesterday. <laughs> You're going to take him out of your lineup so he can throw four innings? Yeah. That, may, that makes no sense to me. I, I just like, looked. They haven't posted their lineup yet, so I don't know if he's playing tonight or not. Or I, would, I, I would put him in the bullpen, let him hit every game, and at some point you're going to tell him, go warm up, and you're coming in for some high leverage innings. 
it's smart. I mean, he throws hard enough where you, you can hopefully get some value out of him that way and keep his back. It'd be like putting, it's like, it's like putting John Smoltz in the bullpen. And now Smoltz, instead of having four pitches, all he needs is fastball slider. So what you could, you just go fastball split. Yeah. That's what you do though, Tony. You know, I know he's got 18 pitches, but I would have him just throw two <laughs> pitches and just go out and strike everybody out. Yeah, and hit home and, runs. And you're going to be in the lineup every day. Yeah, and hit home runs. He has seven on the year already. So big weekend in Houston for him. You so, froze on me. Oh uh, no, I'm here. Am I? I'm still here. Yeah, you're still there. Okay, well, is this yeah, the end of the show? Yeah, we're out of time. We got to go. I'm just warming up. Yeah, well, I'm got, like I'm like Otani. I went three innings and I'm done. You got uh, you got A's total access coming up at three ten. All right. What's coming up next? Uh, we're going to play the David Force show. The David Force show, and then I'm on at what three oh five? I think it's three ten. Yeah, it's a three. It's a four ten start. So three ten for A's total. Three ten. All right, I'll be back at three ten with A's total access. Thank you for listening, everybody. Here is the general manager of your Oakland Athletics, David Force. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion. Championship team.